and welcome to the Forecast Fest. I'm Kate Baldwin, here with my friends, John Avalon. Guten Tag. <laughs> and Harry Anton. Shalomi, my homies. <laughs> <laughs> it gets better every week. This week, we're going to look at some new polling out in the wake of last week's presidential debate and also break down President Trump's approval numbers. Is it the floor or the ceiling? Then we'll talk about Senator Elizabeth Warren picking up an endorsement that Bernie Sanders had last time around, a sign of her surge from the left, question mark. Finally, impeachment is back in the headlines, and we're not even talking about Donald Trump. It's Brett Kavanaugh, and that, of course, means relitigating his controversial confirmation hearings. But first, let's get the latest forecast. Harry, what do you have? Well, I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball, or maybe it's a knuckleball, or maybe if it's a screwball. Can you tell him in the baseball playoff Does that spirit? involve alcohol? It can. So I'm actually going to focus in on a David Binder research poll, which uh, he's a Democratic pollster. He's been uh, working with this group focus on rural in Iowa. And the reason it's so interesting is he's Kamala Harris's pollster, but he recently recently polled the Iowa caucuses just after the last presidential debate. And here's what he found. He found that former Vice President Joe Biden stood at 25 percent. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren stood at 23 percent. Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, was at 12. Bernie Sanders was just at 9 percent. Amy Klobuchar, the senator from Minnesota, was at 8. And Kamala Harris, who David Binder works for, was just at 5 percent of the vote in Iowa. And what blows my mind about that fact is that Harris, since the last time around they pulled this in July, um, down dramatically. I think she's down like... She is down. 16 points. She is down 13 points from 18 percent. It should be noted that Elizabeth Warren led the field last time with 20 percent to Harris's 18 percent and Joe Biden at 17 percent. So Biden's actually the one who's up somewhat the most here. He's yep. up uh, eight points versus Warren, who's up three. I should also note that that poll was taken in the wake of the first debate when Biden was sort of at his bottom. So you now have Biden and Warren who, what, do we call this a statistical tie? Do we have to? Yes? I, I, no, I mean, look, the way I would refer to it is they are within the margin of error in that state. And so what, I mean, what you really see, though, over time is that the movement is, correct me, the movement seems to be basically mostly with Warren. If Warren's rising, Biden largely-ish staying the same across several polls, I mean, so for Biden, is there room to grow is, I guess, kind of where I'm at right now in this moment? Well, I guess there are a few questions here. Number one, does he need to grow? The second is okay. when they were yeah. saying, you know, would you basically consider voting for someone? Um, a, a little less than 60 percent said they would consider voting for Biden. So there is room for him to grow. Yeah. His favorable rating in the poll, while not as high as Warren, is certainly up there. Um, and Warren, though, does the best on these measures, right? She, the People saying they might vote for her. Uh, she's at around 70 percent. That's the highest of anyone in the field. Um, and so she obviously does have room to grow. And I think that does bounce around with what we're seeing in some of the national polls as well. Yeah, look, I mean, th- this is Iowa. There's always room to grow, mm. people. Um, the corn but, 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 is growing. Not a song. No, still. not a song. No. Still not a song. No. But. Uh, you know, the fact that Biden rebounded after July is actually pretty significant. It does mirror national polls to the extent that it does seem to be narrowing not to a three-person but a two-person race at the top tier. Um, Buttigieg doing much better in the Iowa poll than he is in nationals. I think that's interesting. Uh, look, let's be real. Pete Buttigieg 
reaches out and he appeals to white voters. He does not appeal to non-white voters in Iowa. Has a lot look, of white voters. Has a lot of white voters in it. And that's also part of the reason why Biden's a little weaker there than he is nationally, because he does best among African-American voters yeah, that, and they are in small supply in that state. C- certainly uh, true, but it, it, Kamala Harris dip is real. But the other thing that jumped out to me, because I am what I am, is that uh, support for a centrist candidate, 60 percent say Democrats need to move to the center to beat Donald Trump. And 32% strongly believe that being Trump will require uh, a moderate. So then I'm confused why Warren's on the rise then. Um, that's a really interesting point. Look, she's not perceived as far left as Bernie, but it does account for Biden's strength and I think some of the other folks in there as well. Yeah, I, I, I there think go on. it's also notable that Sanders is down, right? He's down from 12% in July. He's down from 17% in March after he got in the race. So obviously there's some coalescing of that left lane, as well as the fact that Harris is down, right? Harris is sometimes appealed to the moderate wing, but most of her support in most of the polling came from the more liberal side, and so as well as the college-educated vote. Do you do you think favorability, you mentioned favorability a moment ago. Do you think favorability matters? At, I mean, mm. uh, because rem- one lesson that we learned in 2016 is the two least favorable candidates in modern history were running against each other, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Yeah. And the favorability meant bunk. I don't know if that's because in the universe of it's all relative, you know, you're just as unfavorable as me. So it's well, it, it's it, a wash. It was Donald Trump's team strategy to drive up Hillary Clinton's negatives, which had been sort of that foundation had been laid for 25 years. Yeah. And we know that among uh, voters who said that they disliked both candidates, folks broke for Trump in that cohort. That doesn't it's, it's going to be a compared to what? Um, I'll just make one last point about Iowa, because here's a state that Donald Trump won by 10 points. Um, he's now underwater, as he is in many states in terms of his popularity. Um, but we have this idea within the Democratic uh, Party's debate that somehow being a centrist is is elitist. It's corporate Democrat. Um, here you got Iowa voters, not typically understood to be elitist, despite the amount of t- attention they get from candidates. <laughs> and they're very clearly saying this, Paul, folks, don't elect someone from the far left if you want to beat Donald Trump. I, I'll note a few things. Number one, your favorable rating question. Look, it's a Democratic primary. Most of the Democratic candidates are going to be seen favorably by a plurality of the folks, at least. And that's exactly what we see in this poll. I did not see a breakdown in this particular poll among what I prefer as a sort of indicator, which is the strongly favorable rating, right? Mm-hmm. If you were to look at the favorable ratings, Donald Trump was not the most well-liked Republican candidate last time around, but he had this core group, this base of voters who are going to stick by him through thick and thin. And that seems to be the case with Biden to some extent as well, where he basically, with some exceptions, hovers at around 25 percent in Iowa, 30 percent nationally. And those folks don't seem to be moving. I want to talk about um, Trump's approval ratings. But can I ask you one quick question on the latest, really the latest national poll, the NBC News Wall Street Journal poll Uh, post-debate? I love questions. I know you love questions. My one thing is, gee, pick me, pick me. Without going into the people. detail of all the numbers, things basically seem static. Yet again, after another debate, seem things at the, at the top, it seems you guys both disagree with me, seem pretty static. My question at this point is, when do we start just suggesting to everyone, watch the debate for entertainment because no one's watching them to actually choose their candidates because it's making no difference in the polls. I would say a few things. Number one, Biden's numbers have been fairly steady. The one time though they dropped were when he was seen as putting in a really bad debate performance, right? His debate performance and last then bounced. Like, right. And then bounced. Like and then bounced back. If you it was actually a YouGov poll which asked how important the debates like to be. That's good. 
um, to their votes, Democratic primary voters, and they said, uh, I think it was a little less than a quarter, said it would be very important to their votes, which I think is very interesting because you might expect a lot more, especially the way that the press covers it. Um, and so, look, Warren is clearly rising steadily, uh, but she, the, the idea that you're going to get this big debate bounce, which is then going to propel your candidacy, the only one who's really gotten a big debate bounce so far was Harris and adios amigos. Goodbye. And, yeah, because she got hit by the Biden boomerang, and we've seen actually that attacking Biden actually backfires on people. Julian is the Biden boomerang a thing? It is now. Just, that's literally the first time I've heard it, and I love it. You, see, we're going we're gonna to sell them and market them. Eleven ninety nine. Call one eight hundred. Biden boomerang and send me $15. Biden's campaign should do that, and then they can get all of your information. All the money. No. Look, I think on the surface, look, Biden has been incredibly steady below the surface of of the race. Still a lot is dynamic because you've got enough folks in the race. um, And and I think while it's clearly at the moment being framed as a two-person race, uh, Biden versus Warren, there is room for a Biden backup, someone in the center in the center lane. Um, and so the question is, be all these folks at two and three and four uh, percent when they drop out of the race, where's their support going to go? So switching gears just a bit, add in the latest on the president's approval rating. It's been hovering around ish, 40 ish percent ish for almost his entire presidency. But what are you looking at now, Harry? What does it mean now? I mean, look, I think basically starting now, really starting at the beginning of next year, those approval ratings do tend to be correlated with reelection. And so the fact is, is there's this whole idea, you know, I saw a number of the president's defenders on Twitter saying, oh, my goodness, Barack Obama was at a lower point at this point in his presidency than President Trump. First off, when you take an average of the polls, it's just not true. If you look at 538, Obama's a point above Trump. But more than that, I think what continues to be the case is there is this 45 to 50 percent of the electorate who say they strongly disapprove of the job the president is doing. These are people who will not move. These are people who would climb on coal across on their stomachs, burning in order to defeat Trump at the polls. And if you look at Obama's numbers eight years ago at this point, that strongly disapprove is only around 35 percent. Yeah. And, and I did this as a reality check early this week. If you look at Trump's numbers, they are terrible objectively. Only president in history never to be a 50, above 50 percent in the Gallup poll. 53 percent of voters in a CNN poll saying, they'll definitely vote against Donald Trump. Six in 10 saying in a new CNN poll that he doesn't deserve to be reelected. And on the individual statewide level, he's underwater in states he won. I mean, really key states, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and then states like Georgia and Texas, he's underwater. So those trends are not his friend. His greatest hope, polls suggest, is to run against a socialist, quote unquote. And in that head to head, he actually beats Democrats by six points. Um, but, but, you know, there's a lot of whistling past the graveyard and selective cherry picking of statistics that people do at this point. Usually they're bad faith arguments. The broader trends are really clear. Trump's in trouble. But if Democrats go too far left, he's got a shot. But he's made very clear what the strategy is whenever he's at a campaign totally. rally in it's New Mexico subtle. or when he went to go uh, campaign for the Republican in the special election in North Carolina. I mean, it's scorched earth. It's only getting out of the base. He doesn't care about that 50 percent that he doesn't like what he's doing. He uh, cares about literally turning out every one of his supporters. I, I may not care that the Popeye's chicken has high saturated fat, but it will eventually come back to haunt me, I promise you. And the president may not wow, care so no, about like the fact that there are this many voters who strongly disapprove of him. But as long as the Democrats do not put up someone who is strongly disliked, 
I swear to you. There's your big question mark, folks. will lose. We saw it in the midterm elections. We saw he had a 45% approval rating. How, what percentage of the vote did House Republicans get? About 45%. You are making a very bold statement when most voters aren't even paying attention until Super Tuesday. Like, I'm to this place where, like, people aren't paying attention to this and aren't hearing this stuff until Super Tuesday, except for you wonderful It takes, takes time to bake, I think, is the point Harry's making. Mm. But it's bacon. It's, it's later than you he, think. The, the fact is, is this guy has been consistently between 35% approval. Right. The good news, bad news 46. stays the same for him. It, it do, I don't see how it affects his <laughs> electability. I, well, I, I guess the point basically is, is look at where he is in right now in the polls against any of the Democrats running. He trails all of them. You go back since the Second World War at this point and look at how the, the incumbent did against the eventual opposition party nominee. And Trump is in the worst position of any of them. This doesn't mean he's necessarily going to lose. We have to see who the Democrat nominee is. But voters seem to have made up their mind about the president for the most part. It, you, okay. you, you raised ceiling floor. Mm-hmm. Look at the strong approved number that Harry referred to, whether it's 27 or 29, because uh, it's fluctuated between that. That's his real floor. And that's a terrible number. Yes. Like, objectively. Yep. This is not the opinionated John Avalon. This no. is the... I deal in facts first. I, facts Avalon. first. Facts first, John Avalon. CNN. We're not around the world. And that sounds like Harry's signing off, but we're actually not. We're just going <laughs> to break. We have to take a quick break. When we come back, Elizabeth Warren picks up an endorsement. Why Bernie Sanders might be more than just a little disappointed about that one, and how much the endorsement game really matters in 2020. That's next. Families party. You haven't heard of it, you say? You are not alone, friends. But they may have made a major move with real implications in the Democratic primary just now. This is a labor-aligned progressive group. They endorsed Bernie Sanders in 2016. At that time, Sanders called the party the closest thing to his vision of democratic socialism. Just this week, the party announced it is backing Elizabeth Warren, this time instead of Sanders. Yes. The, The party's national director explained it this way. Quote, Senator Warren knows how to kick Wall Street kleptocrats where it hurts, and she's got some truly visionary plans to make this country work for the many. John Evelyn, is this an ouch? This hurts, man, because Bernie is, Working Families Party is basically the woke political coalition in the Northeast and a lot of key states. Um, they are Bernie acts before, you know, before Bernie ever thought about running for president. And um, the fact that he praised them uh, so precisely last time around and they switched their endorsement to Warren does matter because to some extent, this battle for a Democratic nomination is about who gets the energy of the far left. And so far, you know, Bernie Sanders had seemed old and busted and Elizabeth Warren's got the new hotness. And I think this endorsement codifies some of that. Does this splinter the progressive left? I I mean, look, I think the progressive left was splintered. It has been splintered. And we see some real differences 
amongst them on whether or not they're behind Sanders or they're behind Warren. If you're younger, you're more likely to be behind Sanders. If you're less educated, you're more likely to be behind Sanders. If you are male, you are more likely to be behind Sanders. If you want to basically take a torch and light it to the entire system, you're more likely to be behind Sanders. And we see that whether or not you approve of congressional democratic leadership in Washington. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is completely the opposite, right? She does better among college-educated voters. She does better among self-identified Democrats. She does better among those who might have voted for Hillary Clinton last time around. So, you know, we're seeing these differences play out, and the Bernie Sanders folks are very, very upset about this endorsement coming from the Working Families Party. And there are some real questions about whether or not the leadership was with Warren, but the actual uh, members of the party who could cast a vote were not, and they were not willing to release that vote total when they gave that endorsement to Elizabeth Warren. I got two questions. I, you, you should have 45 questions. But I'm just going to boil it down to two. <laughs> keep it simple. Just keep it as simple. All right. So first off is, where's the policy daylight between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Thank Warren? you. Thank You're you. You're welcome. Like, seriously. Seriously. Uh, I would say, first off, when it comes to the filibuster, uh, there is daylight. Uh, Elizabeth Warren wants to get rid of it. Bernie Sanders is kind of like, no. Bernie seems to have a lot more, um, you know, friends in the Senate in term than, than Elizabeth Warren. What? Does. Yes. Zero friends in the Senate. That is no, not true. That is true. No, Zero. it's not. It, 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 talk to him. Kate when he was covered Capitol Hill. Zero. I disagree. In any event, (laughs) we'll we'll measure friends and get back to you, I guess. Measure friends. Measure the friends. We're all friends, the super friends. Uh, No, there is not necessarily a lot of policy daylight. What there is is a difference in terms of sort of the approach that you have to politics. So is it – when you're talking about the – Important, which I, I find fascinating, the college, non-college divide between Warren and Sanders. If when you're looking at policy, if there really isn't much difference in policy, is it just how they are talking about it that or is it just the way they look? That is what I think is- talking about it is a big thing. And I think that Elizabeth Warren is a college professor and oftentimes sounds like a college professor. And if there's one thing we know about American politics is it likes college professors. Yeah, like Adlai Stevenson. Remember when he yeah, was that able went to well twice. back-to-back elections? Exactly right. President Adlai oh, Stevens. That's, um, oh, right. That didn't happen. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and, I mean, so stylistically, that is a bit of a difference, obviously. Here's the other question. You know, Harry, you've made the point a lot that the self-identified very liberal contingent of the Democratic Party is, you know, depending on your poll, between 17 and I think 25 percent. But between them, and these are two of the furthest left uh, Democratic serious contenders of the modern era, their numbers are actually like a solid third of the party, maybe more. Their numbers are higher than the self-identified very liberal in the party. They're they're actually – if you look at – except Seth Moulton's idea that it's a three-person race, Biden, Mm -hmm. Warren, Sanders. Uh, For a party that is less than a quarter, probably around a fifth very liberal – Somehow, the two of the top three candidates come out of that quartile. Yeah, and I think, I mean, look, that's absolutely true, and that's probably an advantage to Biden, right? But I also think it speaks to the fact that Bernie Sanders, interestingly enough, his support is less divided by ideology than Warren's has traditionally been. Warren right now is leading in the very liberal lane. Um, depending on which poll you look at, she's probably getting to a third to about two-fifths of the very liberal vote. That's up from where she was previously. Sanders, though, sometimes can pick up some 
you know, moderate to conservative support based upon the ability to reach out to whites without a college degree. Elizabeth Warren's support, I know this will sound very strange, is much more broken down by ideology than Bernie Sanders is, although Bernie still does best on the that left. That makes nonsense. So, well, welcome to, welcome to welcome the forecast to, fest. W- w- <laughs> it's nonsense 24-7. But uh, look, politics sometimes doesn't make sense, right? The bottom line is, is that right now what we're seeing is that the professional class left is getting behind Elizabeth Warren, whether that be with the Working Families Party, whether that be with the fact that if you look at these straw polls, which are obviously unscientific, done by Daily Coast, that she reached her high level in a poll taken this week by them. Um, And that leaves the sort of other part of the left, the sort of screw the Democratic Party, F you guys, we're going home if we don't get our way. Their candidate looks right now to be a little bit behind. Okay, really quick question because we want to move on. But do you think endorsements matter at all? Because in 2016, they meant bunk. I think in in primaries, in in really who's going to take the base, um, I think they do. I think it's a sign of real momentum that Bernie basically lost one of his most organized lefty groups and they moved to war. I, I would say this is we know that in primaries – going back since 1980, at least, that the candidates who pick up the most endorsements from party actors, whether they be elected politicians Mm -hmm. or from, say, interest groups, they do tend to win more often than not. Donald Trump perhaps was an exception, but I would honestly argue that most Republican and conservative groups stayed on the sideline in 2016. That should have given you an idea that maybe someone untraditional could win. Yeah, like, but when you bring up Beyonce and Jay-Z and Katy Perry, not helpful. Just saying. As Just it saying. turns out. As it turns I out. I like Katy Perry. I, nothing against the music. Love the music. Love the activism. All right, let's move on. Democrats are talking about impeachment once again, but this time it is not about President Trump. It's Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh after a new and controversial book is out that takes a deep dive into the allegations of sexual misconduct that nearly blew up his confirmation and also a deep dive into the circus that was his confirmation hearing. A handful of Democratic presidential candidates are jumping on some new information in the book about a third allegation against him. At least six of these Democratic candidates now saying that because of this, they think Kavanaugh should be impeached, though we should note that the woman refused to talk to the authors of the book and had friends tell the authors that she doesn't remember the incident. Regardless, this is where it is in terms of the politics of 2020. Harry, if this is now, once again, this issue, Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court, everything that happened around his confirmation, if this is now, once again, front and center, what does this mean for the race. I mean, I think it gives you a pretty good idea, you know, at least on the presidential level, that Joe Biden is a different candidate than most of the other people who are up at the top tier right now. He did not call for an impeachment of Brett Kavanaugh versus most of the other top Democrats, including Elizabeth Warren, did. Uh, Look, I would argue that this goes beyond the presidential race, that these calls for impeachment that we're just going to, you know, impeach everybody. This kind of goes back to, you know, Donald Trump and the calls for impeachment against him, in which there is a certain portion of the party that wants to do it. But most of those um, who are sort of more towards the center of the road, who gave the Democrats a majority, don't necessarily want to do it. And the American public isn't necessarily behind them. And in those Senate races back in 2018, which Democrats, if they had won a few, might be a little bit close to that Senate majority, whether they be Missouri, Indiana, um, or you can go to North Dakota, where you saw all the Democratic senators say, no, we're not going to confirm, vote to confirm Brett Kavanaugh. All those law, all of them lost. And if you look at the exit polls, what you see is that the voters who said that the Kavanaugh vote was important to them. They went overwhelmingly for the Republican candidates in the uh, states that had that exit poll question. Those who said it didn't, Democrats did significantly better. 
Look, I'd I just say on, on the issue of Kavanaugh, I don't think Democrats and the progressive left understand why they're called to impeach Brett Kavanaugh isn't a winner outside the base. Um, this has become a real Roshark test. It's become a real question about how far you go back into somebody's past and, and, and the partisan nature of it. You know, is this the new standard or is this mm-hmm. really just uh, when the other team's in power? That said, the Supreme Court will be, I believe, more of a motivating issue for Democrats this time around than it's traditionally been in the past. Republicans are motivated by the court. I think Democrats will be now because yeah. they got screwed out of the seat by Merrick Garland, and now it's really hanging by a thread. And they can credibly say that Roe v. Wade is in balance. I I hear you, but I have not... uh, Have you heard that as a major issue on yeah. the trail so far. Not, I, I, I really haven't. I, I, I think Roe, when you look at, at, at Roe v. Wade at as Roe a v. proxy, Wade, yes. I think that's a proxy for the court. I think that issue is a proxy for the court. But I think in general right now, what we got Democrats are in total chaos when it comes to impeachment questions. Um, the impeachment investigation on the Hill, uh, Nancy Pelosi not wanting to own it, Jerry Nadler saying, yes, the investigation is on, uh, messaging being everywhere. And I think Tom McClintock saying, um, I think appropriately, Republican uh, congressman saying, you know, they want to have their impeachment and deny it, too. So th- this is not uh, the, the whole messaging around impeachment for Democrats and strategy is utterly chaos well, at the moment. One, all signs that I have received from folks is that there is not shockingly a- no strategy and plan and path of what Democrats actually want to do when it comes to impeachment now focusing on the president here, which is I would have to argue, I have to say, will, is malpractice yep. if that really is the case. This is, forget politics of our time. This is one of the most important debates, sensitive, critical conversations one can have. I mean, you're talking about removing the president of the United States from office. And even if it is a political exercise, which it is by its nature. It's, I think it's malpractice if they really don't have a case. I mean, can I just read you what Dick Durbin, because this struck me. Oh, Dick I love Durbin this quote. was responding more to the yeah. Democratic presidential cabinet coming, coming out yeah. against Kavanaugh, the impeachment. And I just, it was great. He says, we've got to get beyond this. Impeachment is the answer to every problem. It's not realistic. If that's how we are identified in Congress as the impeachment Congress, we run the risk that people will feel we're ignoring the issues that mean a lot to them as families. He is not wrong. Dick Durbin is right. Listen to Durbin, folks. What you're essentially seeing with the strategy of, you know, impeaching the president or not is you basically have an issue in which three quarters roughly therein of the Democratic base wants to impeach, but two fifths or less of the American public does. And this kind of leaves you in a very big quandary of what the hell to do. It's yet another example of sort of the perils of polarization and that you're going to have an impeachment caucus on the extremes of both parties. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. You know, what should be done is the Democrats should be focusing on getting new information from investigations. Um, you know, do the Trump tax returns, you know, show new information? Um, that, that stuff, there's a serious question about the constitutionality of, you know, profiting off the presidency, mm-hmm. the emoluments clause. That's in the Constitution. Um, and there are a couple of cases wanting in the courts. But you cheapen it by, by politicizing it, by making it reflexive, and by not having a strategy. It's dumb, dumb, dumb. And a majority of Americans say that they're open to more investigations that poll significantly well, better than impeachment does. And if you need any poll, just look to the president, because he is more than happy to be talking about this once again. He's tweeting about it. He's talking about it at rallies. He, th- he, know- he saw what happened and the energy that mm-hmm. came um, after, you know, after the Lindsey Graham 
speech, we'll call it, that happened during the judiciary hearing uh, during Kavanaugh's confirmation, the energy that came amongst Republicans after that, he saw that, he sees it, and he's happy to talk about it again. Yep. So, um, all right. That does it for us today, folks. Yeah. But we could go on for hours, but we're not allowed to. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> nope. Is next week German Humor Week? Still not a song, I think, and but I'm still starting not to actually, like... No, it could be a song. Uh, that's the problem. All I right. can't tell with his melodic... <laughs> the warblings, magic. I think, is uh, the warblings, warblings of Harriet. Warblings, I like it. We're gonna go with it. He's gonna, <laughs> he's gonna sing us out tonight, guys. If you liked what you heard, please make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite app. While you're there, please leave us a rating or a comment. It does help new listeners uh, find the show. You can always find us on Twitter. In the meantime, I'm at Kate Baldwin. At John Avalon. I mean, I'm not even going to. You, I have to actually prompt you again. And I'm at Forecaster Anton on your Twitter dial. Twitter oh, dial. Yeah. Twitter dial. Twitter dial. Do the Google people. Thanks from the from Team Benjamin Button. And special thanks to our team <laughs> behind the scenes, Amy Eason, Lauren Moore, and Ms. Soslowski. We'll see you back here next time on the Forecast Fest.